Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. If you've watched the Weather Channel recently, you may have seen Jim Cantori in the environment of a tornado, or you may have seen flooding or storm surge from a hurricane. What is this new technology that the Weather Channel is using to present the weather? I talked with Director of Weather Presentation Mike Chesterfield about this new technology and what it means for weather messaging. Thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Marshall. Now, so this is really awesome. I've got to give some context because not only is Mike Chesterfield the director of weather presentation, he's also one of the masterminds behind Weather Geeks. And so I want to get into all of these things. We're going to talk about the new technology that the Weather Channel is using, and it's called Immersed Mixed Reality Technology. Or what? It, I, I hope I got that right. That is exactly right. We yeah. call it Immersed Mixed Reality, um, also known as IMR. Yeah, and IMR is a new technology that I think the Weather Channel is pioneering. So when you watch things like AMHQ or some of the other shows on the Weather channel. I know you've seen it and we're going to get there. This is We're going to go all over the place with this episode today. But before I do that, as I do with many of my guests, I want to talk to Mike about how you got into meteorology because he is a meteorologist. Yeah. So um, I wanted to be a meteorologist. I knew I wanted to be a meteorologist at like six years old. Um, essentially, it was a trip to Disney that changed my life. A, uh, a big thunderstorm was approaching. I was watching the skies and I kept telling my parents, uh, we have to get out of here. It's going to storm. And, uh, you know, they thought I was crazy. Um, we, we got on the monorail, and sure enough, it started Wait, how, how old were you? I was six years six old. Six years old, yes. making four, made his first forecast. <laughs> right. So I, I, it was just a really cool feeling to be able to tell the future. Um, yeah. And then I, from there, I just became amazed at, uh, at meteorology and all the weather that um, you know, processes that occur. And, uh, you know, I, I, many people tried talking me out of it, but uh, I, I could not have uh, imagined a better career path, really, um, to be able to... Uh, have a passion and get paid for that passion. Right. Um, you know, it, it's it's amazing every day. Yeah, and so he he has a typical story that we all have about some experience. And you know, I think one of the things I find about colleagues like Mike and myself and others, we don't feel like we're working. I mean, this is what we would do. We probably would almost do this if you didn't pay us. Although some days are better than others. <laughs> some days are better than others. And uh, like most meteorologists now, you know, my career path has taken me in, in, in other directions yeah. where I'm able to apply what I've learned on the meteorology side to, uh, in, in my case, television and storytelling. And, and let's, let's pivot there because, I mean, again, background in meteorology, you went to Northern Illinois University for your um, meteorology training. Go Huskies. Yeah. Go Huskies, of course. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a Seminole, but we played the Huskies one time. <laughs> in an orange bowl. But you, but again, you've pivoted your career from sort of the meteorological background to using that meteorology to communicate. Before we get to the IMR, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about, because I know a lot of people that listen to Weather Geeks watch the Weather Channel. Tell us about the process of going from the forecast or the weather presentation for the day 
from the models and the satellites to the actual graphical presentation, what's the because I know you sort of lead those efforts here right. at the Weather Channel. Right. What's that? What's that process like? So it, it really does start with the forecast. Forecast is the foundation. Obviously, the forecast is extremely important. We take great pride in getting the forecast correctly. Uh, but the next challenge is is really one that uh, I love, and that is uh, to try to communicate that forecast in a meaningful manner to provide the audience with context so they're able to make decisions on a day-to-day basis. And uh, in some cases, uh, hopefully they learn a little bit along the way. So uh, the process really starts early in the morning. We, uh, we take a look at the forecast. Uh, we, we look at the stories that we should be covering uh, for the network on a day-to-day basis. You know, really what weather is going to be making impact. Um, and, and then it is, all right, how are we going to tell those stories? Um, what are the uh, contextual points that we can pick up? You know, and, and for, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the big super bomb, uh, what, what people the calling bomb it. bomb cyclone. <laughs> the bomb cyclone. It's coming to get us. But no, I'm making light of that. But yeah, it's a term that's been around bombos, bombogenesis. I was just lecturing about it at University of Georgia, sort of this rapidly deepening low, 24 hours, mil, 24 millibars in 24 hours or more. Right. So we, we knew the storm was going to have tremendous impacts and it was going to go beyond just the snow that was going to occur with it. The, the flooding story obviously was one that we wanted to, to highlight. So uh, we looked at the soil moisture. We looked at uh, every, all the precedents that, that came into producing this, what ended up being a very disastrous flood. Um, we put all the ingredients together, and then we tried to put graphics together to tell that story, to, to show that it wasn't just about the rain that was going to fall. It was uh, the environment that the rain was going to fall into, which uh, was going to eventually create some flooding. And Wait, un- so, so you at the Weather Channel, you guys picked up on this sort of massive flood, because everybody was talking about the yep. wind and the snow. But you, And I know I talked to you a little bit for Forbes piece, so you guys had a sense that there was going to be more to the story. Yeah, we, we've been following it really since last fall when uh, we had a tremendously wet fall through the Midwest. And then uh, they had record snowfalls in uh, late January and February. So they had this deep snowpacks and all this water locked into the snowpack. And then we knew that it was going to warm up drastically out of the head of the storm system. And then they were going to put two to three inches of rain on top of the uh, six, seven, eight inches of uh, liquid that was uh, locked up in the snow. Uh, so then you, you do all that at once, plus you, you add uh, um, you know ice breaking down into, into the river systems and creating ice dams and uh, you had the recipe for a disaster, and unfortunately, it yeah. came to fruition. And I, I want to continue your sort of story about how this, you know, comes from sort of the models to presentation. But something you told me, I, you know, I asked you a question about why you thought, you know, the the media and the broader public was slow to pick up on the story. And you had some interesting thoughts that are quoted in Forbes. Give mm-hmm. us, give the listeners some of the your thinking on these sort of. Inland systems or these more rural systems versus, uh, you know, more urbanized. I mean, if that same flooding was in Atlanta, New Orleans, it's probably been a different story. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say that we should cover the national media. Um, the, the larger scale media should cover every story out there. Right. Um, but, you know, news directors and uh, general managers of these news stations now are under such great pressure to get the ratings up and to keep the ratings up. And um, oftentimes they're, they're left with a struggle to balance, uh, you know, audience, the number of people that are going to be impacted and the potential audience, um, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's a really difficult decision. Oftentimes it's, a, it's an impossible one. Um, they're trying to tell the stories that are going to appeal to the most people. 
And um, sometimes in this country, unfortunately, I think um, the the kind of me attitude, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, people don't oftentimes pay attention to stories that don't directly impact them. Right. Um, so part of our, our job here at the Weather Channel is to tell those stories and to allow people that, uh, yeah, it may be ha- happening in middle America, maybe thousands of miles from where you are, but it is in a way going to impact you in some way, whether that's through insurance rates or, or um, you it's know, a big ag region out there. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So. so the impacts go well beyond just those that are uh, directly impacted. There, there are side impacts, and you know that's partly what we try to do here at the Weather Channel. Now, now back to sort of the sort of process here. So, how large is your team? And 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 is you, you mentioned it starts with the meteorologist. There's this big weather briefing in the morning, and then you go off with your 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 weather presentation team and sort of lay the game plan out. Right, exactly. So we we have about uh, currently four. Weather producers and weather graphics uh, folks. Their jobs on a day to day basis is to help to put together the weather graphics that are used eventually to tell the weather stories. Um, they're all meteorologists, um, they're all uh, storytellers, right. if you will. Um, so we produce the graphics and then we produce the weather hits. And essentially, a weather hit is a slideshow that, that walks the viewer through a particular weather story. Um, during times of severe weather, the weather producers' jobs are to actually run the radars for our on-camera meteorologists so they can concentrate on presenting the weather. Um, they're also uh, kind of the linchpin for the production crew in which, uh, you know, if there's a tornado on the ground, they're oftentimes the, the first line of defense and they will they will spread the message about and say, we need to get on this now. So uh, the weather producer's job uh, touches the weather content that comes out of the Weather Channel on a day-to-day basis, just yeah. about everything. And, and I'm curious, this is a recurring theme on the Weather Geeks podcast and on the on the TV show as well, is sort of thinking about sort of messaging. Do you and your team think about colors that you present or how you present them? I mean, from a social sciences or messaging standpoint, is that coming into play? Absolutely. In fact, painstakingly so. We we will overanalyze probably, um, but we look at everything, making sure that the audience is getting exactly the message that we want them to get. Um, And that's everything from colors to the language that we use to the map views that we use, um, all that is under consideration when we're creating our graphics. All right, and and, and so this is a really, uh, and, and I want to get to the sort of immersive, the new technology, but I, I want to stay here for one moment because this is an important topic because I recently said, uh, you know, what's good of, about a forecast if people don't get or understand a forecast? And I was making that statement in reference to the tornadoes in Alabama and mm-hmm. South Georgia recently because, Mike, you know this as well as I do, being one of the leading uh, media organizations in the world on weather, there are still these instances where people say storms came without warning, mm-hmm. um, even though there were sort of outlooks there. Absolutely. How do we get over that hurdle? Because to someone that perhaps didn't get the message or someone that maybe didn't see their area under threat or didn't understand it was under threat, that it did come without warning to them. How do we get past that? Yeah, so I think it's uh, making sure that people are educated um, you know, we, we teach our kids uh, what to do in a fire. We teach our kids uh, what to do, um, you know, stranger danger, all these things. But right. we don't teach our kids about the weather. Right. Uh, we don't oftentimes teach them what to do in certain situations. Um, so have a plan. You know, that's the first thing. And then making sure that you are plugged in. Um, you know, when there's a tornado watch, what do I do? What, yeah. what are the actions I need to do? Well, you need to pay closer attention to the weather. Um, mobile devices now are such an, uh, an you know important tool to the messaging. Um, have you know making sure that you have something, some way to get those warnings when they come out. 
um, you know, really it's just an extra layer of awareness that you should have. And I think uh, just through some simple education, we can help solve that problem. Um, There's also the, uh, you know, a lot of people are gotten away from cable TV now. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit because again, yeah. the landscape is changing, and I mean, I think that's driving a lot of the messaging. Um, yeah, we've joked or not joked, but talked about the social meteorologist out there, and another term that I came up with recently, the appmospheric scientist, mm-hmm. in terms of how people are consuming it. So, as you're thinking about the weather presentation on air here at the Weather Channel, uh, are you thinking about? I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, are you trying to convey something different than what people are getting when they just pull out their devices and look at a forecast? Yeah, it's it's an important layer. I think that, um, you know, we not only will tell you that there's a warning for your area, but what do you do? You know, that's oftentimes it's, uh, you know, you're, people don't know what to do. Right. So uh, it's a scary situation. So, um, you know, hopefully calmly our on-camera meteorologist will walk you through exactly what you should be doing in a certain situation. Take cover, go to the lowest level of your house uh, in a tornado situation. Um, folks like Dr. Greg Forbes are, are masters at that. I mean, it's it really truly amazes me watching him for the last decade, uh, all the tornado warnings and how he covers, how he navigates, how he triages the, the most important storms. Um, you know, so making those decisions for the audience um, – getting through all the kind of clutter and then making sure that they have that clear message on what action should I be taking in this moment. So so would you say that you are someone that believes that a person is still very much needed in the process? Yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about that. Um, you know, it's easy to say that, oh, I've got the warning on my phone. But, the war- you know, the phone doesn't tell you what to do. Um, the, phoning, the, the phone just tells you exactly that there's a warning, um, whereas a person especially a trusted individual, somebody who knows what they're talking about, they can actually tell you where the storm's going, where's it going next, uh, what action should I be taking, um, do I need to worry? Right. Um, you know, a lot of folks who are in mobile homes, what should I be doing? You know, these are all the, the messages that we try to convey during breaking weather situations. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm talking with Mike Chesterfield, the director of weather presentation at the Weather Channel. He's also the one of the masterminds and the executive producer of Weather Geeks, um, um, all iterations of it. And so he secretly doesn't know this is someone I've been wanting to get on and talk to on Weather Geeks for some time about many of these issues. But one of the most exciting projects that's going on at the Weather Channel right now is something called Immersive Mixed Reality. Yes. IMR. And if you don't know what it is, that's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast today, because you probably have seen it if you watch the Weather Channel. So let's just start at the beginning. Where did the decision come from to go in the IMR direction and why? Yeah, so it really started, you know, well, first of all, uh, as a weather producer, I've uh, been a weather producer for almost 20 years, um, dating myself a little bit there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Growing up and in, in telling weather stories, we, we had these weather graphics applications that allowed us to put graphics together. 
um, present them to the to the audience. Um, in the background, I've always watched these video games and uh, seeing the incredible power of these video games. And I, I always in the back of my head imagined what could we do with that. And a lot of other folks here at the Weather Channel thought the same thing. And then about uh, five or six years ago, a new technology called camera tracking capability came out, and, they, and that allowed us to um, augment the graphics into our studio space, so what we basic AR. And uh, what a camera tracking capability allows us to do is place the graphic into the studio, then tra- track that graphic as if the graphic was really there. So now we're able to put graphics into the studio space when they're not really there. So this is where we can put a tornado into the studio. And that that process started about five years ago. Oh, wow. So uh, it's really fairly new technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I think our first uh, AR experience was uh, Jim Cantori presenting a tornado. You know, what? how, how does a tornado form? And right. just being able to place this tornado into the studio, a three-dimensional object for the first time, and, and really give the audience, uh, uh, you know, almost play God, you know, mm-hmm. control the tornado so mm-hmm. we can we mm-hmm. can walk the audience through what is a tornado and how a tornado develops. It, right. it gave us a really cool and new and interesting tool. Right. And then uh, within the last few years, uh, the gaming engines took off. You know, uh, a company called Epic, um, a lot of people know about Fortnite. Fortnite, I've got a son. <laughs> and then if you all, just if you have someone that plays Fortnite, you know about it because your kid's probably screaming through the house as they're playing it. Yeah, so these video gaming engines became real time, yeah. right? So they're able to, you're able to create in real time. You don't have to render, sit there and wait for every time you make a change to the graphic wait for it to render out, right? So this was an important thing for us because in weather, you want to be able to adjust things on the fly. So this, for the first time, allowed us to do that. And then at, at about the same time, companies came around and said, well, this this has some broadcast applications. So we're going to take that graphics engine and we're going to allow you uh, to to put to broadcast it. So they created a layer on top of the, the graphics engine. Uh, we originally partnered with a group called The Future Group. Uh, they created a, that layer for us, um, which essentially is an important thing because it, it takes the graphics and makes it suitable for broadcast. It's in, integrated into our broadcast system. It's very complex. but um, And then the other thing that's occurred over the last five years is just the computing power. Yeah. Um, I was it, wondering how much computing, just because we know with the models that's important. Right. The, impo- important with the this graphics too. cards, the pressure it puts on the graphics cards is tremendous. Yeah. But uh, NVIDIA has come out with some in, tremendously powerful graphics cards. Right. And, and they continue to do so. So you, you bring all this together into a package, and it, and it allows us to uh, create these incredibly high-end, hyper-realistic graphics, uh, which is important. We'll talk about that later. But um, And then immerse our talent into these environments right, that we right. create. Um, right. So the, the end goal is, is always remain the same, which is to uh, provide the audience with a Put, allow them to put themselves into these situations, which is, in, to me, very important for the messaging. And, and, yeah, I wanted to pick up on that because as cool as this is mm-hmm. to actually have a tree growing in the studio mm-hmm. and showing fall colors and foliage, there are real implications, you believe, to how this can be used to message the weather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we the, One of our first IMRs, and the, the difference between IMR and I, uh, AR is the IMR is actually we, we use a – green studio and there is no physical studio space in there it's it's everything that you see is actually augmented into this green studio space and then immerse the talent into this environment Mm -hmm. so one of our first imr experiences was the uh the surge effects graphic one of the things we've always been challenged with as meteorologists is when there's a surge 
um, forecast is to how do you present that? Right. Um, up to this point, the only way to present it was on a flat map. And you just draw a color and you say, okay, two to four feet. Two to four feet along this part of the coastline. Right. right. And, and to, you know, a lot of the feedback that we got from our audience is that just doesn't sound like a lot. Two to four feet, big mm-hmm. deal, right? Um, but what the IRMR technology allowed us to do is to create a scene that was so realistic, we considered everything. When does a car float? When, what type of objects would be floating in this environment? What does that environment look like? We, we, we purposely chose a neighborhood that was indicative of, the, of a coastal region. So people can actually put themselves into this neighborhood. And then we flooded it. We brought in, we, we took the forecast and we brought in that two to four feet of storm surge. And when you place it up next to a person, um, it has a tremendous impact. People are like, right. now they're able to place themselves in there and actually see what it would look like. Um, and and for our purposes, the first time we actually really got to use it was for Florence. Florence was coming, uh, it, it, it meant business, and some of the surge forecasts were, you know, in over six feet. Six feet. And that's over somebody's head. Right. So placing the on-camera meteorologists with a wall of water behind them at six feet and them saying, you know, this is unsurvivable, uh, I think really got people to act. Um, yeah. For the first time, I felt like we, were, we did our job when it came to surge. We, we showed people, this is nothing you want to mess with, get out. Uh, if people ask you to leave, leave. And we actually got feedback from people that said that made the difference. Yeah. So um, that really, to me, was that hit our goal. That's what we're after with this technology. And I, I want to say I, I noticed that as well because I was watching the social media landscape and just, you know, you know on social media, we got things like weather, Twitter, very weather, weather attentive uh, public. But I was noticing on Facebook, people that never talk about the weather were sharing. Yeah, people were and, sharing it with yeah, family members yes. that were in the risk zone. So uh, we were watching it as well in real time. And uh, because you never know um, how, how, how a product is actually going to in, make that impact. Um, but we were watching in social media in real time. And, and mind you, the, the storm was heading towards the coast. So we're mm-hmm. trying to get the message out there and to see people share it with family members and say, you know, this is coming to you. You need to check this out. Right. Um, it really hit home with us. We, you know, again, it told us that we um, we did our job and, and our goal was reached. Yeah. And I think that's a really natural example because you do often hear you know, pe- people just don't have a sense of what floodwaters can do or, you know, the danger involved. So I think it was a nice visual. One of the things I have noticed about the you, your use of IMR is you use it sort of in sort of strategic or very special situations, special case studies. I guess what I'm asking, though, is do you see an evolution of the use of the project or the product, I should say, or the technology in just sort of your day-to-day weather presentation? Absolutely. This yeah. is this is phase one. Okay. We're just getting our feet wet. And that's really the exciting part mm-hmm. is uh, the next phase will allow us to take it into our day-to-day and to actually use real forecast data to inform the environment. So... And how that, would you do that? What, would, what does that look like? I'm, just, I'm sitting here as I ask the question, thinking, you know, how, 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 how is, you know, Goodlow, Paul Goodlow, if he's on giving a weather presentation that day, how, how does that come into a data? Is it like showing a jet stream core? Or I, I don't know. How, what does it look yeah, like? Yeah, so w- one of the products we're working on for the future, uh, imagine a virtual studio, and, and uh, we get to the forecast for New York City. A big storm's heading towards New York City. We're able to drop the walls, surround a Paul Goodlow or any of our on-camera meteorologists with a a city street uh, scene from oh, New wow. York City. Okay. Uh, so we have this environment that looks exactly like New York City. 
And then we walk the viewer through the future, a future time lapse where the model data actually drives whether it's raining oh, or wow. wind. Yeah. So, and all the objects uh, will be impacted by the, uh, you know, for example, if there's a tree nearby, the wind will actually blow the tree, you know, to really give the, the audience a feel of it. If, if I walked outside at two o'clock tomorrow, here's exactly what it's going to look wow. like. So uh, we've always shown time lapses up, you know, looking back. Now we're going to actually be able to show time lapses looking forward. Wow. So it's it's going to be a new way to present uh, the forecast and one that hopefully, again, the, the whole idea and the whole goal here is to get people to understand what we're trying to say, not just show an icon and a temperature of what you can get anywhere. This is actually showing people what it's going to look like at a certain time. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back on the Weather Geeks podcast talking with Mike Chesterfield about weather communication uh, and risk using new technology. And I think IMR and some of the augmented reality and some of the other things being used uh, are, are the future. I, I want to stay there for a second because you talked about that your team is mostly meteorologists, the weather producers. They're all meteorologists, yes. But this technology that you're talking about now, this IMR, mm -hmm. I mean, that doesn't necessarily require meteorological skills exclusively. So no. are, are you looking for in terms of the types of people that are going to be working in this area? Because I have the feeling this is going to grow. It's going to it's yep. beyond the Weather Channel. What, what, what type of person do you need to do this type of work from a, a skills perspective? Well, it, it takes a it takes a village to put these together. Okay. And, and it, it's it's really it touches so many different people. We have uh, not only the meteorologists, which inform uh, exactly what these things look like and how uh, you know, what stories we should be telling and, and you know, the, the science behind it, if you will. Um, but we also have a team of very talented um, VFX artists or graphics artists. Okay. Um, so their job is really to translate what we're telling them and, and to, in order to create these uh, hyper-realistic scenes. Um, and it, it really is a process. There's a lot of back and forth. We sit there and we uh, painstakingly go through every detail to try to make it as hyper-realistic as possible. Um, there's also uh, editorial in input. So we have folks that actually help to write the scripts for these things. Um, you know, so um, there's production team that's very much involved, that's uh, responsible for helping to uh, as help us execute. There's a director, you know, and, and everybody plays their role. Mm -hmm. And the only way these things are successful is if um, everybody does play their role. Um, and we have a great team here, and I'm lucky to work with the great team that we have here. Without them, uh, none of this would be possible. And everyone, uh, again, is important for us to be able to, to press this into uh, new territories. What's the timeline from idea to the actual product? Yeah, so we've gotten better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and it, I mean, it's news. I'm sure it's going yeah, so, to continue. So originally it was about, uh, you know, I think our first experience took us about two months to put together. Wow, two months. Yeah, okay. two months to put together. Uh, the surge uh, experience took us about six weeks. And then by the time we got to winter, we launched a couple new ones. Uh, we did a football one and we did a snowman one. And each one of those took about four weeks. 
we're working on one right now that's going to take about three weeks. Okay. So uh, we've gotten better through our learnings. Um, we continue to become more efficient in the process of developing the content. Um, but it's, you know, it starts off with an idea, then we storyboard it out, and then we write a script for it, and then we look at uh, reference, look for references so the artists have something to kind of look at to uh, as a reference frame to, so they, they know exactly what they're trying to create. Um, and then and then it is the creation process. And that, again, that's that's a lot of back and forth between a meteorologist and the graphics artist to, to ensure that we're get, being as accurate as possible. Final. Well, I actually have two questions. One question is, do you see this sort of also getting into, I mean, you, you guys are pioneering this at the national level, but are we seeing AR and IMR type things in local markets and things like that? Are we headed in that direction? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think the technology is becoming uh, less and less expensive. Um, that's a big part of it. Um, I also think we're kind of at a tipping point now where we've reached that point where we are, we are able to create these realistic scenes where people are going to be able to the, the blurring between reality and um, and fake is 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 there yeah, right yeah, yeah. so whereas before we'd, we'd build a virtual studio and it kind of looked fake and hokey um, now it's people won't be able to tell the difference right. it's it's actually kind of scary yeah. no well it, well and that's actually the next question I wanted to ask before we kind of pivot to a different topic is I mean it, you're talking three-dimensional presentation of weather now. I mean, can you, in your mind, see what's coming? What's next uh, in terms of presentation? I mean, I, I mean, I you know, you think immersive technology and 3D is the next thing, or what's next? Yeah. So uh, some of the places we want to go are exciting down the road. Um, you, you can imagine being able to put on uh, you know some virtual reality glasses and wow. actually put yourself in the studio with Jim Cantori, yeah. or put you, yourself into some of these experiences that we're creating. Yeah. Um, and I think the NBA is doing a little of that now with, with these sort of they've got these cameras right there at, on the sideline and right. you can like with glasses, you, you're courtside from your, your your living room. Yep. Yep. And there's, uh, you know, there's technology that allows you to like actually point a point a phone at a QA co- code and it opens the wall up. Um, so imagine getting off, uh, uh, you know, off a plane at an airport and you want to check the weather. You, you point your phone oh, at the wow. QA co- code, and, and next thing you know, you see Jim Cantori presenting you the local weather forecast. I was actually thinking about that earlier, but I didn't ask it. Is there any sort of natural synergies with our mobile devices yeah. with this technology? Yeah, there's there's definitely a use case there. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're going to see the, the the platforms that we use this technology expand in, in, in the future. And again, uh, we are literally at kind of phase one, it will likely be thousands. And, and that's, that excites me. Right. Well, talking with Mike Chesterfield, director of weather presentation at the Weather Channel, also the executive producer and one of the creators of Weather Geeks. Uh, I want to actually ask you about Weather Geeks now, since we're on Weather Geeks, <laughs> because I don't know that a lot of people that are familiar with Weather Geeks or maybe listen to it or have watched it in the past know how it came about. So how did you guys come up with the idea for Weather Geeks? Well, uh, it, it's funny. Uh, we we always knew that there was a, a, a market for this for a show like this. Mm-hmm. We we um, it was a group of meteorologists. It was myself, uh, Dr. Matt Sikowski, uh Chris Warren, um, and then a one of our great producers, Stephen Nestler. Yeah, we, we we claim him as a <laughs> as in the meteorological family. <laughs> yeah, he loved weather. Yeah. Uh, uh, or I should say loves weather. Yeah. Uh, so we actually, uh, we were sitting around ha- having a dinner and, and, and a couple libations. And uh, <laughs> we had this idea for a show where we would actually bring uh, some of the uh, key folks from the weather enterprise on 
to talk about the topics that impact, um, you know, how we're presenting the weather, um, how we're uh, consuming the weather. Um, so we, we started writing ideas down on a napkin. And um, I've seen the napkin. Mark. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the next step was actually to try to sell the idea to <laughs> to the uh, president of the network. And um, we did so. Um, at the time, it was David Clark and uh, brought the idea to him. And he kind of looked at it and he said, uh, this is a really good idea. Let's do it. And um, I, we were kind of shocked. Uh, <laughs> it, it was, uh, you know, now you got to actually go do it. Now we actually got to yeah. go do it. And I'm like, well, you know, this is going to be great. I'll, I'll, we'll have to put somebody else in charge of weather presentation. And he's like, no, you're, you're going to do both. <laughs> <laughs> labor of love, as you often yeah, say. It's a definitely labor of love. Um, but you know, almost immediately, um, the the great part for us was it really did allow us to bring um, folks from outside this building inside the building to for them to see what we're all about right. and then to learn about what they do right. um, and then present that to the audience. Um, and I think the audience kind of, you know, liked getting that kind of behind the scenes, uh, you know, feel for what it is that the Weather Enterprise does on a day-to-day -day basis and the important role that they play and oftentimes don't even realize is going on, you know. So um, it, it's been fun. It's been um, amazing and, um, you know, I, it's it's one of actually the highlights of my career. Yeah, it's it's a neat, and I've enjoyed being involved with it as well. I think you know, given the feedback that I get out there, people enjoy it as well. I want to now just use this last five to ten minutes to kind of pick your brain. Mm. He's looking nervous because he has no idea. <laughs> By the way, we're we've done this complete podcast with no notes because I knew that we could sit down and talk and chit chat for hours. So this has been a great uh, episode. But I want to. You've been here at the Weather Channel how long now? Uh, about ten years. Ten years. Are there any particular stories, weather stories that you have been a part of here at the Weather Channel that you found particularly difficult mm. to tell or what, that you struggle with either because of the meteorology, the implications of the event itself or just from a weather presentation standpoint? Yeah. So one of the hardest things, uh, temperatures. Temperatures mm. are very – because they're not visual. Right. Right. Um, but people die every year to yeah. exposure, yeah. whether it be heat or cold. Um, and we have a difficult time telling that story. Um, so we, we try to create the tools um, outside, again, of just showing a map that shows temperatures. Um, you know, what does it feel like? And that's it's still very difficult to tell. Um, I'm, you know, we struggle uh, every summer and every winter to tell those stories. But, um, you know, that's, again, where having a meteorologist uh, narrate a, a forecast is important, I think, because they can give you that feel um, whereas from the app, you're just looking at, oh, it's going to feel like 110 degrees today. Sure. Um, but if you have a meteorologist telling you, well, it's not only going to feel like 110 degrees, but here's what it's doing to your body. Right. You know, so that one's very difficult um, from a, from a um, you know messaging standpoint. Right. Um, the probably the most difficult part of my job and a lot of the meteorologist jobs here is when we know something bad's going to happen and it's coming and there's not nothing we can do about it. The only thing we can do about it is get that message out there. Right. Um, April 27th was a day was one of the first times in my career. I just got that pit in my stomach. Yeah. I remember you telling me about this yep. before. Woke up at uh, seven o'clock in the morning to from a phone call from uh, Jim Cantore. He's asking me where, where he should go. He was, he was being sent out. And, uh, you know, we, we went back and forth, and one of the first things I told him was Tuscaloosa. Yeah. And uh, luckily, he, he actually headed further west and followed the storms in, took the safe route. Um, but 
I, I was the weather producer that evening and that day, um, and to just watch what was happening and occurring in real time was was difficult, you know. And you you work ten twelve hours, you come out of that day and you realize that you know people's lives will never be the same, right? And it, it, it gets to you, it yeah. really does. And you know, Sandy was another time. Yeah, Sandy was tough as well. I mean, I, I think Mike's talking about something I think often gets lost. Um, I mean, we have a lot of brave first responders and emergency managers that are on the scene for some of these devastating weather events. But truth is, it takes a toll on the meteorologist too. Yeah, yeah I think you, you you talk to meteorologists, and just about every one of us has a passion to uh, you know we just don't do it for the weather and the geek out. It, yeah. it really is has a use and uh, the knowledge, that knowledge has a use and that's to, to get the message out, especially in, in what could be deadly situations. And we, uh, there's not a weather producer here. There's actually not a person that works in this building here that doesn't take that job extremely serious. I can't right. tell you how uh, passionate and, um, you know, and it's one of the reasons I'm proud to work here um, because uh, not only do we get to produce some cool television, um, but people actually use us to um, to make decisions that could save their lives, and that's, you know, at first when I first came here, I didn't I didn't understand that, but I remember Dr. Forbes, uh, he he had there was a tornado warning, and he he you can hear it in his voice, he was very concerned, and then he said the word debris ball, and it was one of the first times I ever heard that right. term, and uh, he was telling people what to do, and you know he was doing uh, what Dr. Forbes does, and. About a week later, he got a letter from a, from a woman who basically said, you saved my life. Wow. Told, yep. And, and that hit home with me. And that, right. from that point on, I, I knew that what we did here had a real impact on what was going on outside this building. Yeah, and I think people often forget that because, I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, there are oftentimes there are pockets of people that's like, oh, they criticize different organizations. They criticize what you guys do and think ver- there's just things that you do. But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, whatever people perhaps may think about what you do, what you do, the ultimate end game is to warn people and communicate weather messaging. And so what, what would you say to people that, you know, well, say, oh, torque on this or naming storms that? I mean, what would you say to people that sort of bring those topics up relative to the ultimate goal of the organization? Well, first of all, I get it. Yeah. You know, I get I get some criticism. I really do. I, I think that people um, nowadays, especially when it comes to media, are cynical by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, our goal really is to get those messages out, do whatever it is we need to do to get those messages out. If we have to give it a name, then that's what we do. Um, it, it's, you know, I, we were accused of, oh, it's a marketing ploy or whatever when we started naming winter storms. But the whole goal of naming winter storms is to get the message out and to uh, have something that people can actually track um, so they can, you know, communicate to their family. Um, it's not, oh, there's a snow heading our way. It's, oh, it's winter storm. Yeah, and by down. the way, naming winter storms actually predates the Weather Channel, as I understand. I think some people were doing it in Europe. They, yeah, yeah, they've been doing it for years, yeah. and it seemed to be an effective tool for them. So, um, you know, we're, we're attempting to do it. And, um, again, uh, you know, things, tools like Torcon, again, all this is in the name of giving people that extra context to the forecast. And, Hopefully it's something. It's a way for them. It's a vehicle for us to convey that forecast in a way that makes sure that they understand there's a danger coming. And uh, if you can get one per- person to act, um, that means we did our job. Yeah, I want to ask you a provocative question to close out the podcast. Oh, yay. <laughs> 
yeah, you know, the landscape's changing. You're, like people do get their information from phones and streaming, and people are cutting. Co- all, all these things are happening. So in ten years, is the Weather Channel what? What's the Weather Channel look like in ten years? Oh, that's a great your, question. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> and it's one that we we take very seriously yeah. here at the Weather Channel. Um, the Weather Channel is is you know uh, not going anywhere. The need for weather information is not going anywhere. Yeah. The platform in which you uh, actually consume it may change. Um, it, you may be able to see, watch us on your phone. You may be able to, um, you know, get it through a variety of different methods and vehicles. But, um, you know, the splintering of the media landscape is occurring at a rapid pace. Um, we're adjusting to that. Um, the, the, it, you know, I, I've heard for years, well, the weather channel or television's dead. Right. Well, television may be dead, but watching video is not dead. Right. Um, so, it's it's not that you may not you just may not be watching the Weather Channel on a television. You may right. be watching it somewhere well, else. Well, we we evolve from watching it on black and white and watching it on color and then watching it in three dimensions. So it's just the evolution of the technology. Yeah, I think you you'll just see the content and consume it in a different way. Yeah. Um, it's uh, again that need from you know when you get right down to it, the need for weather information is not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, hopefully for years to come, we'll be here giving it. Well, yeah, and particularly with the sort of weather events that we're seeing and uh, the the immersion within sort of the evolving climate system, I think we will always need to have good messaging. And I think what you all are doing here at the Weather Channel is very important. So, Mike, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Weather geeks that you help. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Marshall. And thank you all for listening to the Weather Geeks podcast.